Welcome back to QAV. This is episode 621. We've just been talking about sex palaces off air. Uh, you missed out on a great conversation. It's the 23rd of May, 2023, 2.22 p.m. on the East Coast. Would have been my dad's 74th birthday today if he hadn't died 22 years ago. How are you, TK? Good. Well, we were talking about Tiberius and... Uh, <laughs> if anyone wants to know the context of the Sex Palace conversation, <laughs> sure. look up Tiberius and the history of Rome. That's where it started. Listen to my Life of Caesar series. It's a lot of fun. Or just watch the opening of Caligula, because you see his Sex Palace in the opening of Caligula. That's where the great uh, Tito, whatever his name was, film, <laughs> Malcolm McDowell film oh, yeah. from the uh, mid-70s. Yeah, it starts in Tiberius's Sex Palace with um, Peter O'Toole as uh, Tiberius enjoying his debauchery. <laughs> Well-named Peter O'Toole. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly for that film. <laughs> oh, dear. You see a lot, lot of tools in that film. <laughs> rough week in the markets, TK. Rough, rough week. Yeah, you got to, got to laugh, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, or cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, rough week. Picked up a bit today. But it's just been a lot of selling. I don't know about you, but particularly for the light portfolios, it hasn't really affected the dummy portfolio a great deal. Or I think I had to sell maybe one thing out of my super. But um, yeah, for the uh, light portfolios, I've had to sell a lot in the last week, and it's been very tough to find much to buy. Very tough. Same. I uh, I had to sell a couple of gold stocks I had, Perseus Mining and West African Resources today, uh, or the last two days. Uh, and I haven't been able to find anything to buy either, so I'm sitting on a bit of cash. I can't even double buy something. That's how light on the pickings are at the moment. Mm. And it's not because gold's not a sell, right? It's just a Josephine. They were rule one or three PTL or something? Yeah, I think I was rule one out of both of them. Wheat did become a sell when Alex uh, did the charts for us on Monday morning, which meant I had to sell Grain Corp out of uh, the light portfolios. It's been a, an interesting time. I'm also running a just a paper portfolio for QAV stocks above a score of 0.2, and I only managed to buy two stocks for that portfolio in the last month or so since I started it, and I had to sell both of them, so it's, it's sitting in cash. So that's how difficult the conditions are at the moment. Well, I want to talk to you a bit about that when I get to the light portfolios, because I seem to have been sitting on a lot of cash for a long time in the light portfolios, and it's hurting us comparatively looking at the STW uh, when you're sitting on a lot of cash and it's not doing anything, you're going to underperform the index, right? But before I get to that, let me talk about the uh, dummy portfolios. So I did my weekly report today and just, again, for my own sanity, reminded myself that when I look at the two-year all odds chart, it's barely gone anywhere in two years. That's pretty much exactly where it was two years ago, maybe up by, I don't know, 3 4% or something, but it's been a two-year holding pattern, more or less, for investors. Yeah, it's gone up and it's gone down, but if you compare today to where it was two years ago, it's barely moved. So it's no wonder then that the dummy portfolio over the last two years is only up 6 or 7% per annum, CAGA per annum over that period, versus the STW, which is pretty much the same, a little bit ahead of us today, but give or take, it's pretty much neck on neck over the last two years. So it feels like a lot of hard work to do nothing, a lot of hard work to get nowhere in two yeah. years. Yeah, that's that, that was the old rule when I was working corporate. You got paid bonuses every year until the year you worked the hardest and you got nothing. 
That was usually the case. Right? <laughs> yeah, we've done way more selling in the last couple of years, way more trading than we did in the early days of the podcast for no return. But you know, I guess that's doing the trading because the market's bumpy. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, interest rates have had a big effect, I think, on the market. Uh, the rising interest rates have had an effect on the market, big effect. Rising interest rates, trade wars, real wars, it's been a bumpy couple of years. Yeah, and having said all that, getting 6% or 7% a year during that kind of turmoil is pretty good. Yeah, and then I look at the 10-year all-odds chart, which looks great. It's um, gone up a lot in the last 10 years. I wondered to myself, well, what will it look 10 years from now? Oh, 10 years from two years ago, eight years from now. If we knew that, <laughs> we wouldn't have to, <laughs> to worry about investing ourselves. Well, we kind of do know, right? Unless history is being, unless uh, this time it's different, Tony. This time it's different, Tony. It's always different, Tony. <laughs> unless it's different, the market always goes up over 10 years, right? Historically. It's, well, it should, yeah. It's on average, it goes up 10% a year uh, historically. But, you know, there have been long periods like uh, GFC, 10 years since the GFC, it, it's basically back to where it started from. That's right, yeah. But that was a that was a big, big tank, right? GFC. Uh, but anyway, the QAV report since inception for new listeners. That's uh, September twenty nineteen. Dummy portfolio is up around about sixteen point two four percent per annum, according to Nevexa, versus the STW, the SPDR two hundred, which is up seven point one eight. So we're still doing about. Two and a half times better than the index since inception. This financial year, though, it's up 16.5%. We're up 8.5%. For the quarter, it's up 1.6%. we are down a quarter of a percent now. We were ahead of it for the quarter a little while ago, early on in the quarter, but we've taken a bit of a dive recently. So it's been a difficult period. Haven't been sitting on cash in the dummy portfolio though, so I can't blame that. We just had a couple of stocks. Well, nothing's done really well. It's kind of been uh, tough times. Mm, and I think there was, according to Nevexa, the report I got, there was one big drop in the dummy portfolio's holdings in the last week. Yeah, CLX, which we're going to talk about, bloody CLX. So uh, when I checked my alerts this morning, we hold it in the dummy portfolio, and it's still above its buy price in the dummy portfolio, but I also held it in the light portfolio. And when I checked my alerts at 8 a.m. this morning, 9 a.m., it was it had just become a rule one yesterday afternoon, but it was like, you know, 11% down. And the AFR said the market was going to go up today, and I had to go out for a couple of hours. I had to go to Kung Fu, whatever. So I thought, ah, I'll wait until the market opens, and I'll wait till 11 you know, you always say wait till 11 and see how things pan out. I was at Kung Fu, got back at lunchtime, and it had dropped another 9% oh, <laughs> this <no>. morning. <laughs> so it was down like 20% by the time I finally sold it. Checked the news, nothing about, uh, what are they, C CGI Logistics or something? CTI Logistics, yep. CTI Logistics. Can see nothing in the fin, nothing in hot copper, nothing in the news. Nothing on Stock Doctor, but they're down 20% in a day. So don't know what the hell's going on there, but no bueno. Anywhere else I should look? No, that's what I would do. I, I just had a quick look. Then I couldn't see anything to explain the drop. Is it ex-dividend? Hang on. Let's have a look at ex-dividend. Did you check that? No, uh, dividend was back in April. Okay. 
I did check that. So, yeah, it's just one of those uh, ones that uh, came out of nowhere. And as, uh, as I said, it's still above water, but it did drop as well. Actually, the report that I ran this morning on our last seven days for the W portfolio said it was down 9%. It's probably down a lot more than that now. It was up, obviously. It's still above water, as I said. So it was up like 20-odd percent last week in our portfolio, and now it's probably probably getting close to a rule one. No, it's got a bit of way to go, but it's probably back to where we what we paid for it. The other one that shocked me during the last week was a Logio Group, ALO. As I was calling it on the day, how low can you go? How low can you go? <laughs> on the 24th of March, and it was a good performer in the dummy portfolio, but on the 24th of March, they announced they'd entered into a scheme implementation deed with Next Capital, pursuant to which Next Capital would acquire 100% of the company's shares. The proposal is to be implemented by way of a company scheme of arrangement for $0.30 cents per share in cash, which will be subject to shareholder and court approval. Now, at the time, it was trading around about uh, $0.19, cents, $0.18, $0.19, cents, shot up close to that $0.30, cents, up to about $0.28 cents on the announcement. It was great. Happy days for everybody. QAV gets in there, <laughs> finds a stock that's undervalued, buys it. Somebody comes along, pitches a higher price. Happy days. I'm drinking champagne. Uh, <laughs> then on the 15th of May, it goes into a trading halt. <laughs> on the 17th of May, it comes out of the trading halt and announced after a lower than expected April 2023 trading result and with May and June 2023 results, anticipated to be lower than previously forecast, the company's earnings have been negatively impacted. Share price collapsed down to 16.5 cents. And it was a 3PTL sell. We still got out of it at a slight profit, amazingly. But uh, something fishy going on there, I thought to myself. There's an acquisition underway. All of a sudden, they go into a trading halt and then come out and say, nah, bad results are coming and the share price plummeted. I feel like their Waystar Royco, <laughs> next capital is uh, Lucas Matson. Gojo. Gojo, yeah. He's like, oh, well, it's not that Logan died, but the results are down. The share price, like, why am I paying? Why am I paying 30 cents a share for this thing now when your share price is only 16 cents a share? I think uh, it's time to go back to the negotiating table. Yeah. I, I should declare I know one of the directors of. Next Capital as well. Not that we've ever spoken about this acquisition. Oh, well, time to get that person on the show. <laughs> if ASIC are listening, I haven't ever spoken to <laughs> to him, to Patrick about this. And I don't know what's going on. But yeah, I, I did read through the announcements after you raised it before the show, and it does look interesting. I mean, yeah, they, they've come out and said they're not going to make the sort of projections they said they were going to make. But I think I had a look and it was only like a million dollars less than what they were projecting. And that's it's a small cap company, so a million dollars is probably, you know, material, 25% of their profit maybe. So my gut feel says that they're going to still do a deal. It may not be at 30 cents, but again, the announcement says Next Capital haven't walked away. They're, they've triggered a mediation clause to talk about the takeover. So I said, just, I don't know. I'm just guessing here. I suspect that they'll still do a deal at some stage. Um, the share price has actually recovered today. It's back up to 19 cents. Yeah, from 16. 
it won't it probably won't get back to 30 if i was next capital i wouldn't pay as much as i was originally offering if they if the company's come out and said we were earning less than we forecast but well who knows i'm not part i'm not in the room as they say to these discussions but um if the company was attractive a month ago and it's come out and said we're not going to make the same profit we're going to make but we're still going to make a good profit yes i'd, I'd ask to revise my offer but i maybe wouldn't walk away so we'll see well that was painful it's painful but it's also a small cap stock i mean that's the other thing too it's such a low volume of shares it's 40 odd thousand dollars a day i think that's kind of volatility tends to go hand in hand with those small small adts and of course well the instincts for from qav investors when something like this happened and certainly mine was well this was an overreaction we should just hold on to it and it'll probably go back up. It'll probably turn around. And as you say, it has come back a little bit, but rules is rules. So I did sell it on the day because it could have gone the other way too. It could have, could have fallen further. So just to remind people, Elogio specialized in managing short-term accommodation from one night to three months for holiday makers, international travelers, Corporate guests, government and private sector contractors, it provides these services through hotels, motels, and short-term rent rolls. So I don't know what's happening in the uh, whatever short-term accommodation market. (laughs) Well, they came out. So I read the announcements, and again, I don't know this company very well, but they came out and said that they would normally expect to get higher rentals after Easter and that they hadn't kept pace with last year, mainly because people are a little bit tighter on cash because of rising interest rates or, or maybe a little bit uncertain and therefore aren't taking as many holidays. That's what they're saying. I did also note, and again, I could be reading too much into it, that they had bought, they diversified into a company which I think did laundry. I'm not sure whether that was a chain of laundromats or whether it was like a commercial provider of laundry services and that that was underperforming. But the good news was that they weren't having to pay the earnouts to the company that uh, they, or to the people they bought this company from because the profit was down. So I hope <laughs> if I put my Machiavellian cap on and I say, well, I just bought this company and there's earnouts, if I, if it doesn't work out as well, then I pay, I don't pay them the earnout and I actually save money, even though I lose a bit on the operating line. I hope that's not one of the reasons why they've had to report a reduction in their forecast profit, which has caused Next Capital to walk away. They may have been too smart for themselves, but I'm reading a lot into that, so who knows what happened there. Alloggio apparently is the Italian word for accommodation, Tony. Makes sense. I did not know that. Lodging. Lodging. Yeah, there you go. Well, so those were a couple of shocks that I had this week, CLX and ALO. and But, you know, I'm glad that we have rules. Because even though it's upsetting and uh, frustrating, you don't have to tie yourself up in knots thinking about what to do and trying to outthink the market or predict things. And the other thing we don't that we're not getting tied up in is trying to work out what's happening based on the announcements because you know they can be either scant on detail, they can be late on information, and they can be, I guess, uh, have a particular perspective to suit the party that's making the announcement. So. Uh, Without knowing what's going on with Next Capital or with Elogio, it's difficult to know how to value the stock. Have they, they? So they put out something on the 17th of March 
Did it, uh, have they put anything to explain? Well, they did. They said they'd lower an expecting trading result, yeah. They got a new uh, announcement that came out yesterday, I see, something called, uh, what's this called, an update? Consultation period extended. Oh, okay. So this is Next Capital saying, yeah, we're going to think about this a little. <laughs> yeah. This is Gojo saying, well, yeah, Logan's dead. I don't know if the company's worth as much. <laughs> I like this in this uh, 22nd of May announcement. In bold at the end, they've written, ALO shareholders do not need to take any action at the present time. Like, yeah, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think they do. They need to sell the fucking shares and get out. Well, maybe. I mean, that's that's pretty standard to, to put that onto a release like this. We took action. <laughs> Stephen Mab sent me a great little graphic. Looks like a future coffee mug. It does, yeah. We'll steal this and <laughs> do our own version of it. It's from Morgan Housel or Husel, author of The Psychology of Money, he says. And it's just a nice little graphic entitled Some Things I've Learned About Money. And I thought these were good. I'll read a few of them. The Joneses aren't as rich or as happy as you think they are. You could just put the Kynastons in there. Aren't as rich or happy as you think they are. <laughs> oh, no, we're happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, the Kynastons are as rich and happy as you think they are. <laughs> but not the Joneses. Funnily enough, my sister is a Jones. She married a Jones. They're pretty happy. Is she too. rich and happy? Oh, that's good. Yeah. The more complicated the investment advice, the less useful it is. I like that one. Mm. Get rich quick and get poor quick are two sides of the same <laughs> coin. <laughs> so that was clever. Yeah, that's good. Ask about anything you don't understand. I've always lived by that rule. I think that's a – it's um, one of the things I noticed early on in my career was that the smartest, most seemingly confident people I knew – were the first to admit they didn't understand something and asked for it to be explained and over and over, rather than fake that they understood it. They go, hold on. You know, like to, in Microsoft, people used to say, explain it to me like I'm five, right? which was has become more of a common thing and read it in places like that. But explain it to me like I don't understand because I don't. And not be afraid to say that, right? Just explain it to me because I'm, uh, you know, I need to understand. I want to understand it, and I'm not embarrassed about saying that I don't understand it, right? Whereas a lot of people, I think, kind of just pretend that they understand stuff and they, you know, fake it. Not good. A house is a place to live, not an investment. Would you agree with that, Tony? I didn't actually. No, I think it is true. A house is a place to live, but they are good investments as well. I wonder why he says that, though. Do you understand his uh, framing of that, that would, where it would make sense? I don't know, actually. I mean, people like Roger Montgomery have often said that the property market is a bit of a sham because you can't value it, although he does admit you can use the rental yield as a way to value it. But the point he's making is that most valuations are comparative valuations. So house A is for sale and it's the same size and age as house B and house B sold last week for a million dollars, therefore house A is worth a million. There's no sort of fundamental way of from the ground up working out what house A is really worth. Although you can rent it out and get an income and you can say that it's worth, that's a yield I can compare to a bond or the bank or whatever and work out what it's worth. So yeah, I don't agree with that. The thing that's always confused me about real estate is if I buy a house, let's say I buy a three-bedroom house for $500,000, and then 10 years later, it's worth a million bucks. 
and I sell it for a million bucks. I've made $500,000 on my investment over that 10-year period. But if I want to move into another three-bedroom house that's equivalent, it's going to be worth a million bucks. So I'm going to have to spend a million bucks to buy the same kind of house. So that kind of nullifies <laughs> my investment return. Yeah, no, you're right. The other dimension to this is houses are really good to gear against. After 10 years, you've got the extra $500,000, which you can use as equity to be able to borrow and then invest somewhere else, either in another house or the stock market or wherever, a business or whatever, or a project. Rather than selling it and just spending that money on real estate. Correct. But no, you're dead right. Unless you're changing the market, it's a zero-sum game. Yeah. Or you, you you buy something that's lesser than the thing that you just sold or... You, you, you're really smart and you buy a fixer-upper or something every time, and there's a lot of people who do that. Yeah, so when I say change the market, you've bought something and converted it into something else, fixed it up, done, you know, taken a big block of land and made it into two houses or something like that. Or you've sold out of Brisbane, Sydney, and then moved to the country, for example, and moved overseas. So, yeah, you change the market. Here's another interesting one. Admire people who earn more money than you, not people who spend more money than you. <laughs> I really like the second part about that. I'm not sure I admire everyone who earns more money than me, but yeah, certainly the second part of that, that this whole idea of Instagram people driving around in Maseratis does not impress me one bit, and I certainly don't admire them. Particularly when you find out that most of them rented those Maseratis for a day. (laughs) Your mortgage broker is lying to you about how much house you can afford. (laughs) Yeah, true. Particularly if you're in America uh, before 2008 with the uh, well, the Fannie Mae and the whatever those other Freddie Mac. was. Freddie Mac. Well, their incentive, the mortgage broker has an incentive, is paid commission based on the size of the mortgage. So they're always going to try and shoehorn you in to something bigger. Luckily enough in Australia, the um, APRA does have tests on the banks to make sure you can repay your loans when interest rates rise. But you know, at the same time, prior to the GFC, there were a lot of people getting loans who had falsified the application process, gained the application process. I like the next one. You don't need to be a math whiz to make good money decisions. Financial success is 5% intelligence and 95% discipline. Correct. And 0% emotion. Yes. <laughs> and like I always say to new members, new KV club members, like, It took a lot of intelligence on your behalf to put QAV together, but I feel for those of us that leveraging what your work, it doesn't take a lot of intelligence to run QAV as a process. There's a learning curve, but it doesn't take a lot of intelligence to run. It's mostly, in my experience anyway, just the discipline. It's just, yeah, obeying the rules and following the steps and not letting emotion get involved and not trying to outthink the, the yeah. system. <laughs> well, it might be a humble brag on my part, but it didn't take a whole heap of intelligence to set up QAV either. It's just learning from other people, much in the way scientists often do. They say, ah. Yeah, scientists are smart, though, Tony. Well, they are, but and I certainly would agree with that. But no, I mean, I didn't invent value investing. It was just me that learned it was right for me and how to apply it to my circumstances. So, yeah, there's a certain amount of intelligence in that and discipline, but I think the quote's really good. It's mainly discipline. A raise in income shouldn't mean a raise in lifestyle. (laughs) 
I've always said, and probably less so these days, but when I was working, every time I got a promotion, I just got promoted into a bigger class of bills. That's what it was like. <laughs> bigger car, or better car, bigger house, better school. And it's challenging. I find that one really challenging. Like, you know, you get a nice block of brie and uh, go spend money on kung fu lessons. There's always a way of justifying spending money, I find. It's not hard. Even when you're trying not to spend money, like it's it's always easy to it's a slippery slope spending money. Yeah, absolutely. Forecasting is for the weather, <laughs> and it's not even good for the weather. No, <laughs> that's a great saying. I think that's yeah. really good. It's <laughs> a good coffee mug one right there. Yeah. Fees erode performance. We've talked about that on this show many times. There is an inverse relationship between investment performance and time spent watching financial <laughs> news. <laughs> I like that. Especially when you go to the States and see the Bloom see Bloomberg and MSNBC and all those. And the shows are just so vacuous. It, it really is. Who's that guy with the big red button? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the baseball bat that comes out and takes a swipe at things and then hits the red button. Yeah. It's entertainment. It's entertainment. Yeah, exactly. For people who don't like reality TV. But it just morphs into other things. You know, there's an element of politics in it. There's an element of culture in it, all that kind of stuff. And eventually it gets down to economics, what's China doing, what's Russia doing. Very Like you wouldn't hear anything on Bloomberg about a Loggio, even if it was an American company, right? They just don't get down into that nitty-gritty detail. Oh, I didn't hear anything about it here either. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, so that's a good one. Hey, you missed out one, which I just wanted to touch on briefly, never reach for yield. Yeah, I didn't understand that one. That's why I skipped it. What does that mean? <laughs> well, it's it's particularly pertinent to our time period right now. And what it means is that maybe it's not as pertinent to now. Maybe it was pertinent to more last year. When interest rates are low and you can't get money from putting your money in the bank, retirees in particular, but I guess anyone can fall into this trap, can be presented with offers. Oh, put your money with us and we'll give you 4% yield or 5% yield. Now I'm seeing lots of things, ads in the paper saying, you know, we'll pay you 9% yield on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis or whatever. And it's always a trap, right? It's it's risk and reward. And you start with the basic building block that a bond is giving 4% yield now. How much extra risk do you want to take to get to the number you need to live on to accept to take that risk? So I'm always reminded of Ralph Nader's documentary, Too Safe at Any Unsafe at Any Speed, which was revolutionary back in the 60s when it was about, the, I think it was the GM, one of the big car companies had a, a car, I think it was a Nova, I think it was a Chevy Nova, so it must have been GM, which uh, under certain circumstances at a certain speed would get the speed wobbles, roll over, and the fuel tank would explode in a crash, a fiery crash and kill people. And then GM, the executives at GM, did an analysis on this and worked out it was cheaper to pay out the families of the people who died in the Chevy Nova crashes than to recall the Chevy Novas and fix them. <laughs> and Ralph Nader exposed this, and the documentary was called Unsafe at Any Speed, right? Because it doesn't matter how fast you drove this Nova, you took a chance it was going to get the wobbles and fall over and explode. And I feel it's the same logic that applies to yield, right? If a government bond is the riskless yield you can get, and you can get 4%, why do you take the extra risk to get 
five, six, seven, eight, nine percent, and invest in you know a fund set up by a property developer who's promising the world. To me, the grasp for extra yield is unsafe at any speed. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite, That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you but uh, you know while he's not <laughs> we can do this so check that out qavpodcast.com.au slash light l-i-g-h-t that's it if you don't want to sign up to any of those just keep listening to the free episodes and if you have any questions uh, shoot me an email you find that on our website too all right have a great week and good luck with your investing the qav podcast is a production of space Craft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.